This is IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. I'm your host, Lee Llewellyn. This is Katie Price with Duke Energy. Duke Energy is the largest electric utility in Indiana, serving 69 of the state's 92 counties and providing power for more than 890,000 customers. We are passionate about being a partner in economic development. That's why the nation's top site selectors, real estate brokers, economic developers, and companies have seen us as a trusted advisor for years. We have proudly been recognized as a top utility in economic development by Site Selection Magazine for 18 years and running. We understand that energy can be one of the most significant decisions around where a company locates. That's why it's important that you bring us into the conversation early so we can help find the best rates, renewable solutions, and incentives available for your competitive project. At Duke Energy, we are committed to economic growth in the communities we serve, and we look forward to working with you. Duke Energy is a proud sponsor of this IEDA podcast. To learn more, visit duke-energy.com. Thank you for listening. In this podcast, I'm talking with Lisa Doherty, President and CEO for the Center of Workforce Innovation in Northwest Indiana, Edmund O'Neill, President and CEO for Northeast Indiana Works, and Tony Watterson, President and CEO for Southern Indiana Works. They each represent the Workforce Investment Board in their respective regions. And traditionally, we think of these organizations as the unemployment bureaus, but in a time when workforces become the competitive differentiator for attracting new investment to our regions and our state, the WIBs, as we used to call them, have become innovators and critical partners with the local economic development organizations. And I've learned now that these organizations have been renamed uh, as the Workforce Development Boards, and so that's how I'm going to refer to them going forward for the rest of this podcast. So today we're going to talk about some examples uh, where these workforce organizations have become a vital support mechanism in their region's economic development strategy, and I want to thank you all for taking time to talk to me today. Tony, let me start with you. I, I don't want to assume that our listeners know what a workforce development board is and why they exist, so can you start by giving us a brief overview of the basics? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks, uh, Lee, for the opportunity to, to come and speak with you today. So the, the workforce development boards are really part of a, a larger piece of federal legislation called the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act, which we call WIOA. So that is a piece of legislation that comes from the Department of Labor down to the states, and then it's disseminated through the local areas. And a governor has the opportunity to designate uh, how many local areas are in their state. So in Indiana, we have 12. If you were in Florida, you'd have 24. If you're in Montana, you'd have one. So it, it really varies uh, based on, on what the, the state feels is necessary. We use economic growth regions, so it's really about um, sort of uh, economic territories and, and, and the way the labor shed works. The WIOA legislation itself dictates how the boards are made up. Uh, and there is a lot of uh, available flexibility for local areas to, to make and, and define what a, a local board is for them. But for the most part, they are 
intermediaries and conveners. Uh, their job or the board's job is to bring together all the partners that are really in the talent development system. So that includes uh, education at all levels from primary education to secondary and post-secondary and adult education, CTE. Uh, they also has um, community-based organizations. It has state agencies like uh, VOC Rehab, um, the Department of Workforce Development. And it's important to note that these uh, local boards are independent organizations. They are not state or federal staff. They are typically a, a 501c nonprofit uh, or part of a, a larger organization that oversees the, the career services. There's also really restrictive membership responsibilities that the board has to have. For one, each board has to be business-driven and business-led. So 51% of our board members have to be representative of businesses. And we pick those representatives based on a couple criteria. One is that they are decision-makers in their organization. Uh, and two, that they represent uh, high-wage, in-demand growth sectors with, that we develop uh, and make sure that we're uh, including individuals that can influence how the talent development system works. So just by the inherent makeup of our boards, we're convening all those folks together to come up with strategies and projects and programming to benefit business. And uh, we also include our, our economic development partners because we want to know what talent we're developing based on what their business attraction, retention, and expansion strategies are within our local areas. So the, the other thing I'd say is that you know, if, if you're not engaged with your local workforce board, you really should be. We provide a number of services, not only to the job seekers, but our, our primary customer is business. We are looking to know what businesses need and how that we can assist them with our uh, career and training services. So I think that probably is a good jumping off point. I think when you talk about your primary customers being business, and I think that's probably something that a lot of people don't understand. So so let me take that point, Edmund, and then turn to you, because uh, on previous podcasts, we've talked to some of our IEDA members about the concept of the business retention and expansion visits. And we had Linda Walzak, who is from Northeast Indiana. Uh, now with IEDC or was was then as well. But she was on a podcast talking about their model for business retention and expansion that was developed in Northeast Indiana. And I understand that you've been a vital part of that process, being on some of those visits. So what is the value? What value do you bring or have you brought to those business retention and uh, expansion visits that you've participated in? Because I think that may be sort of a unique role for the business development boards and, and staff. Uh, yeah, well, Lee, first, thank you for having me on the podcast. I, I genuinely appreciate the opportunity to shed light on, you know, what is happening both in Economic Growth Region 3 with Northeast Indiana Works um, and the rest of the state. As far as the participation in the BR&E visits, um, I absolutely um, am a participant in those, as, as well as several other members of our staff, particularly our business engagement team. We are fortunate to have a fairly, well, in our world, expansive. Uh, it's a team of seven people that support direct work with our employer partners in the economic growth region. Linda has been a vital partner to the construct that we have um, on our BR&E visits. Uh, we actually had a similar construct prior to Linda's employment with the IEDC, but she definitely uh, solidified that, that partnership. Uh, and, and built it out a, a little different than it had been in the past. 
uh, to, to the point, I believe, where it has become hopefully a model um, for other partnerships in the state. Uh, we consider ourselves to be the human capital arm of economic development. Uh, and that is truly where it starts. So we feel like we have a unique opportunity to, to provide human capital support to businesses that are, are being recruited or, or interested in coming to the state of Indiana, as well as those that are already here um, and, you know, providing their component to our GDP. There are a number of incentive packages that, that often are, are put together when, when a, a business is looking to either relocate or, or newly create or, or stay in an area. And, and typically some components of that packet are tied to staff training, some forms of either occupational skill training or training on a lower level that, that may be a little broader, possibly machine specific or industry specific training. Um, and other types of human resources support that a, an, an employer that may be new to a community would need. Some examples of that could be pooling assessments uh, for potential employees, interviewing for, for potential candidates and, and sourcing of candidates to a potential employer that may not be familiar with the area. So we try to support the efforts of, of the IEDC by making commitments. And those commitments can be our, our human capital of our own staff. Um, it could be some of the tools that, that we have both as an organization or because of our partnership with the state of Indiana through the Department of Workforce Development or some of our other horizontally integrated, integrated partners uh, that we can connect um, that employer to to ensure that they can create a successful labor pool and have a pipeline of employees. So are there any examples or an example that you can talk of where you were involved in one of those business retention and expansion visits and there was a specific outcome that you were able to affect because you were there? Absolutely. I will not say the company's names uh, just it. because I, I've not talked to them <laughs> about it. But th these projects are, are usually kind of code names. So I, I typically laugh that they're always like, cool secret names like Project Pegasus, Project whatever. But th there have been a number of projects where, you know, the, the leadership of the employer that is coming flat out told us, you know, your component was the most attractive piece. You know, not, not trying to minimize the work of the IEDC or any other partner at the state agency, uh, but a lot of these proposals are, are canned. You know, these, these places either contract site selectors or have their own internal staff. And, and they are, you know, we are not only competing in Indiana, you know, these these place, these people are looking at places across the United States and sometimes in other countries. Um, it's not only domestic. So trying to kind of do additional things and have additional supports that make Northeast Indiana attractive um, are what we try to highlight. So we try to leverage, you know, training dollars that may be available. We try to leverage other groups that, that may exist that we can provide connectivity to. Northeast Indiana is fortunate to have a consortium of higher education institutions. Sometimes it's not that, that we are necessarily providing a specific service. Sometimes it's we're connecting them to another body of people that can meet the need, whether it be from an R&D perspective or a continuing education perspective. You know, we try to just assess what the employer is saying they need, not necessarily tell them what we're willing to give them. We want to meet their needs and be receptive so that they can come to our community and grow. So part of our goal 
with this conversation today is to really talk about sort of a range of things that you all have been involved in. And so, Lisa, I'm going to turn to you. I bring this up with with a little bit of uh, hesitation because, you know, uh, I'm going to talk about Clarence Hulse and, you know, Clarence, my buddy, but, you know, you, you know, you shine a light on Clarence. Uh, so you had talked about how that when Clarence brings maybe a prospect, a prospective business into Michigan City, that you have been participating in that process and that you work along alongside as part of that process. So as I understand it, you are part of a workforce team that represents a number of resources. How how do you participate in that process? And just using Clarence as an example, how do you partner with him in that process? Yeah, well, Lee, you know, Edmund has touched on uh, many of those ways that that we participate in helping to bring, you know, attract and bring businesses into the community. You know, I'll think about a specific instance. Sometimes we're involved in the process before the business even comes to town. We provide a fair amount of labor data and analysis. Sometimes the employer wants to know what the workforce looks like in a certain geographic area before they will even entertain making the trip into the community. So that labor data and analysis that we provide uh, is very helpful. Uh, Generally, the team that Clarence has brought together, and I think this is pretty consistent across the, the communities, but it includes, you know, your K through 12 representative, your higher education, uh, which in our region is often Ivy Tech as the community college because of those skill sets and the the various opportunities, short-term training, long-term training. NIPSCO, uh, our utility provider, is often uh, at the table in those conversations. Of course, economic development, chamber, executive. There are sometimes community-based organizations that participate because they can be an important part of that referral process, you know, uh, creating that pipeline pool of uh, candidates that that we often work with. Beyond the labor data and analysis, uh, we always point to some of the training opportunities that Edmund mentioned. You know, we do help with recruitment. We want the employers to know that they have this resource available to them. Some of the work is a little more transactional, like postings and the the hiring events, but we do get into the training. And the other thing that we want employers to know is that uh, we are a resource to help individuals in the community overcome barriers to employment. Uh, We do provide, you know, childcare support. Uh, transportation vouchers, et cetera. So we can help those individuals overcome barriers. And to Edmund's point about, you know, being conveners, uh, we too have education, uh, healthcare and manufacturing consortiums. And what's really important about those connections and that work is we spend a lot of time talking about pathways. So we've got education participating in those consortiums. So we're talking through what that pathway looks like for a youth who's, you know, still in school. Maybe they're, you know, going to go to school a couple days a week or part-time and get into a work-based learning opportunity, an apprenticeship, as, you know, well as uh, other types of training. Uh, Those resources are available to the employer. So they know that they're not on their own 
<laughs> you know, when it comes to ensuring that their workforce is skilled. So would you describe your role in some of those cases as kind of like a facilitator? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, so because it sounds as though you're helping to make some of those connections or you're helping to uh, sort of bring those resources together or in some cases, you know, just make those connections to take some of that load off of the employer. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, you know, employers don't necessarily have resources dedicated to connecting with the schools and talking about the future, you know, the jobs that they project they're, they're, and the skills that they're going to need in the future. So these forums uh, create the opportunity for that dialogue across the sectors. So, Tony, let's go back to you for, for a minute. And um, you've talked uh, when we were preparing for this about some a long-term attraction effort with a number of partners in, in your area of the state, and you referred to it as the collective. So talk about who is part of that group and, and what you're trying to accomplish with that. So the collective is really um, three partners in Southern Indiana. Uh, first is, is One Southern Indiana, which is our largest local economic development organization and also our largest chamber. Uh, the second partner is So In Tourism, which is our tourism bureau, and then Southern Indiana Works, which is the, the local workforce development board. The three uh, of us looked a few years ago at you know, what is happening in terms of talent. And and there's really two thoughts there, right? One is we have immediate needs for certain occupations, certain skills, and that's sort of a reactionary strategy, right? So uh, even when we, we talk about talent or uh, business attraction and, you know, someone comes in and says, hey, we're going to need, you know, 50 engineers if, if we put our, our plant here. Uh, and we say, okay, this is what we can do. Um, but the second part of that is really a proactive look at uh, our population and what kind of talent that we need for future businesses in our community, for the current ones that we want to keep and and, and help grow. So we've put together uh, this collective with the understanding that all of us benefit from a talent attraction uh, strategy, and and we want to make sure that we're all you know rowing in the same direction and and we're we're doing the same things. So we're looking at piloting a boomerang uh, attraction strategy. So we're looking at uh, currently, you know, um, Lisa mentioned that, you know, uh, the local board can provide data analytics. So our role right now as a, as a local workforce board is to really look at the data. What occupations do we see growing in the future? Uh, what occupations do we think we could uh, get to relocate to Southern Indiana? Uh, and then as once we identify those target occupations, target individuals, the, the Tourism Bureau is going to put together a, a targeting strategy to start uh, doing uh, advertising and marketing to get folks to, to come back. The role that the local economic development organization, the Chamber, is playing is making sure that the business community is on board uh, and supportive of this. Obviously, we can come up with all the programs we want, but if it's not supported by our business community, then it's never going to, to take hold and, and be successful. So the three of us have really been working closely together and really not just on, on talent attraction, but you know, really looking at the community at large and, and how we can better our, our community based on our three missions and how they overlap. And, you know, we went through a whole process with Gantt charts and all that fun stuff uh, to really see where the overlaps were. So another one that comes to mind besides talent attraction is is advocacy, right? And and being able to to get on the same page with all three of us to say, okay, these are the, the things that we want to act uh, advocate for uh, as a, you know, co collective. 
uh, and that we can try to make a, a difference in, in the thought process of our legislators and, and policymakers. So let's stick with that for a minute, because I think it, it seems to me that the three organizations coming together, Workforce Development Board, Economic Development slash Chamber and Tourism is a fairly unique model. I mean, are you are you sort of making that up as you go along or have you seen that someplace else? So I think we're some cases building the the plane as we fly it for sure. Um, I think we we see other areas or, or or communities that have done similar things, but I'm not sure all three of those organizations are really four uh, in our case uh, have done it. But we we look at places like Nashville, um, certainly right across the river here in Louisville, um, Northern Kentucky, you know, as models of of what we we think we can do and and how we can get there. Um, so I, I'd say we, we've definitely gone and visited and, and looked. We have another organization in our community called Align Southern Indiana, uh, which is based on a, a model out of Nashville. And that's also about, you know, obviously aligning organizations to, to really, you know, how can we leverage each other's support? Uh, how can we avoid duplication? Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's got to be, you know, wanted. And, and our, our community in Southern Indiana has, has really gone the the whole gambit we we were not able to to put together a regional cities proposal because we couldn't get all the the partners to to collaborate and be able to to come as one uh, and really through our leadership of of one southern indiana we were able to to redo that and we're prepared uh to apply for the ready 1.0 and, and got 50 million dollars for our, our local area so you know we've really come together as a region and and really focused on how regional entities can work together. Talent attraction is something that a number of communities are are obviously focused on, but then also there are a number of communities who are not really sure that's what they should be doing. So when you think about a workforce development board, I guess in one stream of consciousness, you can say, well, yes, that really is sort of our job. But another way of looking at that is, well, aren't we just here to develop the workforce we already have? How did your board come along with that strategy? Yeah. And again, I think that we looked at what our priorities are as an organization. And so for Southern Union Works, our our mission is to lead a robust talent development system and cultivate a skilled workforce that advances our community, economy, and quality of life. And we really look at no matter what we're doing and, and ask ourselves, how does this help advance that mission? Uh, so when it comes to talent attraction, it really falls on one of our our priorities, which is one, talent development, and two, next generation of talent. So in order for us to be successful in our mission, we've got to have the people, right? So we don't always have to lead in a any kind of program or initiative, uh, but we certainly can provide support and partnership. And I think that's where we fall in with, with talent attraction. We might not be the lead organization, but it certainly affects our ability to to advance our mission and perform our priorities. So we we've got to look at how we can help other organizations. Um, so when you ask how our our board was involved or what their thought process were, uh, they were very supportive. You know, they came to the conclusion that if we're looking at a a population that's growing at you know three percent, but our job growth is higher than that, then we we just don't have enough physical humans uh, to fill all those positions. So what are we what are we going to do? And so our boards also looked at other strategies. So if I, if I can go back just a, a minute to the very beginning when you said, you know, we're often seen as the unemployment insurance bureau, 
you know, we're a long ways away from that. And as we're talking through today, you can hear all the different strategies and, and actions that we're taking, and none of them have anything to do with, with unemployment insurance. In fact, that was taken out of the local areas probably about 10 years ago and centralized in, in Indianapolis. So each one of your, your local boards and, and the, the offices they run or the individuals that they employ really have nothing to do with unemployment. They have to do with career and training programs and helping individuals and businesses with, with those jobs, right? So when we, we talk about this idea of talent attraction, that is under the, the wheelhouse or the, 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 the lens of a local workforce development board. Uh, we need to, one, make sure that we're developing and training the talent that's currently here. We need to make sure that we're developing and training the talent that is coming to the region. And we need to make sure that we are helping businesses connect with both of those folks. So talking about that, there's a different kind, I guess, of talent attraction. Talent preparation maybe is <laughs> part of that. And so, Edmund, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift back over to you because in Northeast Indiana, I think you, uh, I, I read somewhere that you helped launch a manufacturing camp for middle schoolers uh, back in March. So that sounds like a fairly innovative project. So talk about why and how you got that off the ground. Uh, yeah, so the camps are called manufacturing experience camps, and I think they're pretty cool. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually really excited to get an opportunity to share information about them. The first camp actually was held in October of 22. Uh, the, the camp in Allen County was in March of this year. But those camps were birthed out of an awareness campaign uh, that we actually launched for manu the manufacturing industry cluster called Make It or Your Future, Make It Your Own. I'm sorry. And there's actually a website, yourfuturemakeityourown.org. And, and then underneath that, a microsite that is www.beginswith.me that has more information about the manufacturing experience camps. And that website is a play on that. Uh, it begins with me, but it begins with .me for manufacturing experience. It, it's pretty unique, um, at least to, uh, to our region. We think it's it's pretty cool. Like I said, it started out in, in trying to engage young people and educate them on what manufacturing looks like today. It is very different than what it looked like 30, 40 plus years ago. There are still some, you know, manufacturing industries as well as facilities that, that probably look the same as they did years ago, uh, but many that don't. Many that are very clean, many that um, obviously have very high safety standards um, and that deal in technology that, that most people wouldn't associate with, with traditional manufacturing. Um, in fact, some of them, the people probably dress in, in ways that, that one wouldn't consider like we're dressed today here um, while working in quote unquote manufacturing. So the camps themselves, like I said, we've had two of them. First one being October of last year in Noble County. The the, the launch of the camps include a number of, of both local community partners and regional partners. And one of the large regional partners being the Don Wood Foundation. They have financially supported both manufacturing experience camps, um, as well as a number of other efforts that, that Northeast Indiana Works has implemented. Um, in Noble County, we had partners like the, the Noble County Economic Development Organization, a career and technical education site called Impact Institute, and many other partners that, that, that came together, school systems to, to identify students, you know, identify space for us to host camp, source the equipment, 
typically the young people get to do hands-on experiences uh, with, with equipment that is safe, you know, for their developmental age. Usually some small soldering equipment. We try to get diverse groups of young people, both by gender and ethnicity, in the camps to, to try to ensure we diversify the pipeline of labor. The, the function in Noble County had 22 young people participate on a Saturday morning. Function in Allen County, which was held at the Electric Fork campus, which is a nine-figure, a high nine-figure mixed-use development on the old GE campus, had over 300 young people sign up to participate on a Saturday morning. Now, unfortunately, we, we didn't have the resources to accommodate all of those young people. The, the camps are capped at 40 people. So we have 40 young people in there experiencing what is newly offered on the Electric Works campus, but also newly getting an understanding of what's available to them in a, in a manufacturing career, particularly, you know, advanced manufacturing. I mean, experiencing some of the skill sets and the tools that they would need to be successful. We think it's a great learning tool for young people. We think it's a great way to engage young people. Ideally, you know, we'd be even lower in, in, in engaging elementary school students, but we just don't have the resources and the, the kind of technology to do that at this time. So we're very happy that we're able to connect with the middle school students before they're kind of going into junior high and high school and having to pick graduation tracks and all those things that they get some time to think about it and actually experience it. Um, versus someone telling them about it or seeing it in a movie or or reading about it in a book. Our goal is to have a, a manufacturing experience camp in, in all 11 counties in our economic growth region. Um, we're a bit far, a bit out on, on being able to do that from a resource standpoint. Um, and it's also just very time consuming to plan these events. But we know the value of them. Uh, we know how it can be one component of, of bringing a community together to support the, the manufacturing industry cluster, which in our economic growth region is our largest industry cluster for, from an aggregate standpoint. So we are hopeful as we continue to progress and continue to try to implement these experiential opportunities year over year um, that we can make sure we, we hit every county in the region and also make sure we go back to, to Noble County and, and Allen County as well. So, you know, we continue to follow up and, and that hopefully these things become part of the fabric of, of our community and engagement points for young people. And I think middle school is, is, I mean, you did mention you'd like to be able to do that at the elementary school level, but, but middle school, I mean, I think the thinking has changed. It used to be high school and I think we realized that by then, you know, kids have already started making up their minds and middle school and getting parents also sort of at the table sometimes helps get those decisions made early on in the process. So, Lisa, let me go back to you, because I this year we saw that the Indiana General Assembly, I can't say reauthorized, but they they authorized Ready 2.0, recognizing that the first phase of Ready had made such a significant impact. But when we were preparing for this, you talked about a ready project that is taking shape in your region that's going to lead to something that you called community hubs. So can you start by explaining what it is you're trying to do with this concept of a community hub? So you may know that you know, work one, the, uh, a work one facility in the state of Indiana, that's, you know, America's job center, is in a, a space that is cohabitated with required partners generally, right? So for workforce, we 
you know, here in Northwest Indiana, we've got uh, the Work One CWI employees working side by side with Goodwill, who offers programming, as well as uh, JobWorks, uh, both of those organizations serving youth. DWD uh, is in our space offering services. And this idea of a community hub in Northwest Indiana expands that. And the whole conversation evolved from conversation with United Way, who is not a required partner, uh, having a program that helps low-income working families access training and better-paying jobs. And the reality is our funding uh, complements each other. They can serve folks that my funding may not necessarily allow. That's the wheel of funding that Tony mentioned earlier. And our funding and services complement theirs. So the idea was that anybody could walk into a center and we wouldn't have to turn anyone away. One of the two organizations could serve everybody that came in. Well, that conversation, as we met with the city of Portage, was the, the first conversation that we had. That led into a conversation about being able to house other organizations that could help anybody who's trying to access our services overcome other barriers, like having a childcare provider in the space. We've talked about having food pantry. Uh, Salvation Army is in the conversation now. So you've got all these different entities that can provide those kind of common wraparound supports to help individuals access all the workforce development services, you know, as, as well as ultimately jobs. And now this conversation about the hub in Portage is even evolving into, all right, we're, we're talking about co-locating in a, in a school that needs to be renovated. It's right in the middle of a neighborhood, right? So people don't have to get in a car and come to work one. Those services are right in the neighborhood. We've realized that we need to create some walkability. So this community hub may ultimately involve incorporating sidewalks, uh, more sidewalks into the neighborhood so that we're more walkable and bicycles can be used. So that community hub really expands the idea of work one, multiple partners serving the community. And it seems to me that, I mean, at some point somebody could say, well, what does all that have to do with workforce development? But I'm, I'm sure you guys see this all the time that, you know, there are many, there are many challenges and barriers that keep some people out of the workforce. You mentioned a couple of them. I mean, certainly just food and nutrition, but also childcare has become such a critical issue. And, and it seems to me that that's almost what you're talking about is a much more holistic approach, thinking about the people that you're trying to serve and how you get them into the workforce. Are you getting any pushback on that? And thankfully, absolutely none, Lee. <laughs> it's it's moving so well and so fast. It almost gives me a little bit of heartburn worrying about how big this thing uh, is evolving. No, the concept. Well, first of all, it's a proven concept, and uh, we're meeting people where they are, right, and providing as many services as they may need. And for me, I think it. I, I see it as a, a win-win worthwhile investment, um, because the faster we can uh, get people on pathways into, you know, good paying jobs, uh, the better for the community overall. 
Well, in other communities, uh, you know, where I've done some consulting, we would talk about sort of a no wrong door approach that what happens, and we've all seen this happen, is that, you know, someone comes to an agency and is like, we don't do that here. And they're sent away. So then they end up, you know, not being able to address some of those barriers. It sounds as though when you have that community hub in place, you're not you're not necessarily sending somebody away. It's like, well, okay, not this door, but the next door. And and ultimately, you know, you are thinking more holistically about those people, but you're also not just sending people away because we don't do that here. Ultimately, you do it all there. And that seems to me that that's going to make a tremendous impact on that community and maybe create a model that others can learn from. Absolutely. Okay. So we're, we're kind of at the end here, but you all have had so you, you have so many innovative things that I think when we were getting ready for this, you know, I was really pleased because it really changes my perception of what the workforce development boards, you know, I've always thought about it as being kind of um, that narrow sort of training for, you know, people who are, you know, who we used to call displaced workers. But, you know, you've got manufacturing camps, you've got community hubs, you've got that long-term talent attraction in Southern Indiana. There's so many innovative things. I'm I'm almost hesitant to ask, but, you know, what else, uh, what have we left off the table? What haven't we talked about? that helps everybody get a, a better sense of how you all can be partners in that economic development sphere. Anything we've missed? Uh, Lee, I'll jump in first. And I think you're right. I think there's a lot that it's too much for us to cover in, in the remainder of the podcast. And I also think we do it in injustice in trying to generalize across the state. I think one of the unique uniquely cool things about the, the efforts of the, the regional workforce boards is, is that they are truly regional. So they're designed to meet the needs of each community. So while there are some standards that, that I think we all do offer because we know they work, for me, the cool thing is I am able to tailor what we do to the needs of my community. And I think each workforce board does that really well. So, for, for like I said, there's a number of programs that we didn't cover and a number of things we do that we didn't cover. But I, I think the, the most important thing to articulate is, is that, yes, though, there are additional things that exist. And, and often they are customized to, to meet the needs of our community, of the employers that are currently in our community, um, the employers that may be coming to our community and the individuals that, that reside in and thrive in our communities, respectively, day to day. That's great. Great summary. Tony? Yeah, I'd like to just add, you know, I think Edmund said it, it very eloquently when he said that, you know, we'd like to be the human capital arm of, of local economic development organizations. And I think, to you know, to your point, Lee, earlier that there's a, a misconception that we're, you know, we're helping individuals train that have been dislocated from their previous occupation um, is a is very uh, small uh, lens of what we do. You know, the, the breadth of what services and projects and initiatives that are going on in the local workforce boards and uh, with their partners, you know, that would be equivalent to to us saying that the, the local economic development organization only helps businesses get private or public loans, right? It's just one piece of of the, the bigger pie. Um, I think I'd, I'd also like to add that a lot of times the local workforce board is where state programs are actually being implemented. So, you know, for example, the Next Level Jobs Employer Training Grant uh, while that is funded through the the state budget, 
the the folks that are actually doing the work are the the local workforce development boards. They're the ones working with businesses, getting them access to those funds, uh, and helping them train their incumbent workforce. So a lot of times, you know, if if you get involved with your local workforce board, uh, you will be able to help steer how those programs and projects are are implemented in your local area. And again, that's to Edmund's point. You know, we're inherently designed to respond to the local needs of, of our businesses. So uh, the more uh, involvement that our economic development partners have with us, the, the better we'll be able to respond to their needs. Lisa, you have the final word. Anything you want to add? Yeah, I, I so I agree with both, uh, you know, with the points that Edmund and Tony made about that local focus. At the same time, you've got regional, you've got execs that come together on a regular basis through in WIBA, and we identify what's working in these local regions, and and we share these best practices, and we can take them to scale at a much larger level across the state uh, when that makes sense. All right, so let's don't close with with a with an acronym that's hanging out there. So what is what is in WIBA? The Indiana Workforce Board Alliance. Got it. Okay. Thank you. So yes, it is good to give a plug to Inwiba and explain what it is. We close because it was really probably through the the uh, Indiana Workforce Board Alliance that uh, we all three came together to help me put this uh, podcast together. So today I've been talking with Lisa Doherty uh, with the Center uh, of Workforce Innovations in Northwest Indiana. Edmund O'Neill with the Northeast Indiana Works and Tony Watterson with Southern Indiana Works. I want to thank you all. You know, I've learned a lot and I think this will probably, hopefully, stimulate some more dialogue between economic developers and their workforce development board. So thank you all for doing this. Thank you, sir. Thank you. We would love that. You've been listening to IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. All content on this podcast is copyright 2023 by the Indiana Economic Development Association, which retains all rights to this content. And by the way, the theme music was composed and performed by me, Lee Llewellyn. Thanks.